on RTHK. Live across Hong Kong, this is Radio 3. Good morning. It's 8.03 in Hong Kong on Wednesday, the 28th of September. This is Peter Lewis with the business and finance headlines on Money Talk on Radio 3. Economic output in China will lag behind the rest of Asia for the first time since 1990. According to new forecasts from the World Bank, the multilateral institution revised down its forecasts for China's GDP growth to just 2.8% compared with growth of 8.1% last year and down from its estimates made in April of between 4 and 5%. The downward revision was attributed to President Xi Jinping's zero Covid policies and the slump in the property market. However, expectations for the rest of East Asia and the Pacific have improved due to higher commodity prices and a rebound in domestic consumption since the end of pandemic restrictions. The region excluding China is expected to grow at 5.3% this year, up from 2.6% last year. Profits at industrial firms in China shrank at a faster pace in the first eight months of the year. Chinese industrial companies' profits fell 2.1% year-on-year in the January to August period, compared with a decline of 1.1% in the first seven months of the year. Covid restrictions and a deepening property slump weighed on domestic demand and heat waves curbed factory activity. The IMF has criticised the UK's plan to implement £45 billion, that's £48 billion US dollars, of debt-funded tax cuts, saying given elevated inflation pressures in many countries, including the UK, we do not recommend large and untargeted fiscal packages at this juncture. It urged the government to re-evaluate the plan and warned the untargeted package threatens to stoke soaring inflation. On today's Money Talk, we're joined by Mark Michelson at IMA Asia, Jack Sue from Credit Suisse and RTHK's international economics correspondent, Barry Wood. Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Surging bond yields and the strong dollar led U.S. stocks lower for a sixth straight session and deeper into a bear market. The S&P 500 fell 0.2% to a new 2022 low of 3,647. The Dow, which was up 400 points earlier in the day, gave up all of its gains to close 126 points lower at 29,135. The Nasdaq Composite was up a third of a percent on the day at 10,830, but it has fallen more than 33% since hitting a record high in November. European equities fell on Tuesday as concerns over European gas supplies and the Ukraine conflict again came to the fore. The Pan-European Stock 600 Index edged 0.1% lower. London's FTSE 100 slipped half a percent. Hong Kong stocks recovered from early losses to end the day almost unchanged. The Hang Seng Index rose just five points, holding near an 11-year low of 17,860. The Tech Index climbed half a percent. The Shanghai Composite Index surged 1.4% to 3,094. Stocks rebounded after Reuters reported that Chinese regulators have told some fund managers and brokers to avoid massive equity sales ahead of next month's party congress in an effort to eliminate big market fluctuations. 
The instructions were given through the so-called window guidance with no written documents, sources told Reuters. In the commodities markets, Brent crude oil settled 2.6% higher at $86.27 a barrel. Gold is trading at $1,628 an ounce. The sell-off in government bond markets around the world continued yesterday. The US 10-year Treasury yield rose 9 basis points to 3.97%. That's the highest yield since 2010. The 30-year Treasury yield jumped 13 basis points to 3.83%. And in the UK, the yield on the benchmark 10-year gilt rose 23 basis points to hit a 14-year high of 4.48%. After the Bank of England's chief economist, Hugh Pill, said the loosening of fiscal policy announced last week would require a significant monetary response. The 30-year gilt yield rose as much as 51 basis points to over 5%. It's at 5.04% right now, its highest level since 2002. And the German 10-year bond yield, which is the benchmark for borrowing costs in the EU, rose to an 11-year high of 2.25%. The US dollar has continued to rise, with the US dollar index up 0.2% near a 20-year high. A rally in the British pound fizzled out, with sterling trading just 0.2% higher at about $1.07. Against the local currency, it's trading at 8 Hong Kong dollars and 42 cents. The euro is below 96 cents. Japanese yen is at 144.8 versus the greenback. The offshore Chinese yuan is at a 14-year low of 7.18 this morning. Bitcoin is 1% lower at $19,100. Around Asia-Pacific stock markets this morning, in Australia, the SX200 off 0.1%. The Nikkei 225 in Japan uh, is down about a third of a percent. Cosby in South Korea is off three quarters of a percent and futures markets are pointing to losses of about 230 points for the Hang Seng at the Open this morning. On 809, let's welcome our guests this morning. We have with us Mark Michelson, Chairman of the Asia CEO Forum at IMA Asia. Morning, Mark. Good morning, Peter and Jack. Good evening, Barry. And also joining him, Jack Su, Chief Investment Officer of Greater China at Credit Suisse. Morning to you, Jack. Good morning, everyone. And then over in Washington, D.C., we should find our international economics correspondent, Barry Wood. Morning, Barry. Good morning, Peter and everyone. So there's been huge volatility once again in the FX markets in the past 48 hours as central banks, including the People's Bank of China, the Bank of Japan, the Bank of Korea and the Bank of England, take steps to try and stem the slide in their currencies to multi-year lows. As you heard, the US dollar was higher once again. Uh, The US dollar index, which measures the greenback's value against a basket of 60 major currencies, has surged to a new 20-year high. The US dollar index has risen 19% this year. And over the same period, sterling has depreciated by 21%. The Japanese yen has fallen by 26%. The euro by 16%. And the Chinese yuan has lost 13% on its way down to its lowest level in 14 years. Jack, maybe I could start with you and and get your thoughts on this. Um, Does a strong dollar matter? And if it does, why? Strong dollar matters as it brings down the imported inflation from commodity prices and global imports for the United States. But 
the strong dollar matters for the rest of the world because dollar have about 60% of global trading volume and transaction being transacted in the dollar. That means when the dollar strengthens, everything else tends to fall. And remember, the Fed is hiking a 75 basis point pace mm. versus everyone else is hiking at 25, 50, at best 75. They are not even hiking faster than the Fed, mm. which means from an interest rate standpoint, from a currency volume standpoint, uh, most currencies are depreciating, and that's having a negative impact to import inflation for other countries. So does the dollar carry on surging as long as other central banks remain behind the curve? It could do so, because right now um, the market sees two factors on why the dollar should continue to rise. One is the interest rate differential. Uh, you just mentioned the 10-year U.S. Treasury yields are 3.93 or 3.97 percent, mm. and that's a very high number. Um, if you are a, a, a smaller country, uh, you you gotta have a high yield in order to attract people to invest in your bonds. Secondly, uh, whenever we have a I guess recession outlook, the dollar since seems always been the uh, safe haven currency. Right? Mm. So both events happening tends to take the dollar higher. And this is exactly what happened in the 1980s when Paul Volcker was hiking rates at this fast pace. Mm. And pretty much until we get the plus accord, um, this is what happens. So on those yields, I mean, if you look at real yields, which is the yield minus the rate of inflation, most most countries still have negative yields. So it suggests that there's still a way to go yet, uh, that yields have got to rise a lot more. Well, in US, that's not really the case. I think inflation expectation for the next 10 years, somewhere close to 2.5, 2.7, which means a real yield for the United States in the next 10 years is already positive. Mm. For long-term investors, um, if we do not have surprises to inflation, then um, the value is beginning to emerge. Mark, what what does it mean for businesses? Does a strong dollar matter for, for businesses and particularly those that you talk to out here? Sure, it does. Depending depending on where they get their supplies and 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 other factors, I think there was just an article in New York Times and probably elsewhere saying that strong dollar might be might be uh, favorable for the U.S., but it's not favorable for almost anywhere else. And I think that's that's generally true. And of course, what it creates is more volatility and a lot of churn. And that's what we're talking about: a lot of churn in the markets. But this obviously affects costs and it affects uh, plans for moving forward. Mm, and it affects earnings as well. Yeah, abso- it? absolutely, it affects earnings. So, what can be done about it? Well, <laughs> so far, not not much has been effective. You know, you talk about uh, Japan and Korea, for example. They've tried to sternly warn foreign exchange traders and others to step back. That hasn't worked. Uh, Japan intervened. I don't know what Koreans going to do. That didn't work very much. I think there's there's. Uh, there's not a lot at the moment, uh, unless unless you can change the sentiment of mm-hmm. the market, and you know that's that's affecting companies in a in a very big way. So they're just planning now for this to continue, for at least the next six months and perhaps longer. Barry, let me bring you in here. I, I ask maybe tongue in cheek, but is this a cunning plan by the U.S. to <laughs> export its inflation to everyone else in the world? Because in effect, that's what it's doing, isn't it? Well, no, I would reject that. And I, I, on one level, I'd say, well, we're not that smart. I ask so slightly tugging to organize cheek, that. It, it is, in, a, in effect, though, it is what's happening, isn't it? It is exporting. Well, it, it is, but, uh, 
look, I agree with what Jack was saying about interest rates. However, uh, negative interest rates still exist in the states. We've got uh, short-term interest rates, Fed funds uh, around 3%, and you've got inflation at uh, just about 8 Now, you're right, Jack, when you project out that uh, we're not going to have negative interest rates if, if uh, inflation continues to fall. But as to the dollar, uh, yeah, this is the exorbitant privilege that the French used to talk about over, you know, in the whole post-World War II period. You know, why should it be that the dollar is the world's currency and that the United States can essentially do anything it wants in terms of monetary fiscal policy and just the rest of the world do what it may to cope? So it's bad for U.S. exporters, obviously. It makes the price of United States goods more expensive abroad, but it does help on the inflation front. We import tremendous volumes of goods, and those goods are going to be cheaper. Now, I mean, I think the, uh, as you mentioned, Peter, at the top, uh, the real sufferer right now is the United Kingdom. Mm. Well, I want to come on to them in just uh, in, in just a moment. So you, you remember, Barry, I'm sure, the 1985 Plaza Accord, don't you? We've had some intervention, some minimal intervention. But back in 1985, there was a coordinated effort uh, to try and... Uh, bring the dollar down, wasn't there, and uh, and led by the Fed itself. But at that stage, the U.S. wanted a weaker um, dollar. It doesn't seem to want to this time, and it's certainly no sign of the Fed intervening to do anything about it. I think you've touched on a very important difference just in the last, uh, really, 10 years, going back to the 2007-2009 financial crisis. There was tremendous coordination among the group of 20 nations. That doesn't exist now. The Janet Yellen Treasury has not been working closely with its European, Japanese, Chinese partners on any kind of uh, currency concern. Mm. And I think that uh, the decline in international cooperation is somewhat ominous. It's certainly a big change, and it doesn't get a lot of attention. Do you think, Jack, this uh, intervention that we've seen out here, we've seen the Bank of Japan intervene, Bank of Korea um, as, as well, uh, also the People's Bank of China by raising uh, the, uh, the bank's FX reserve requirement ratio, does it, does it work? Does it have an impact? The market's conclusion is um, what's announced so far wouldn't work in um, bringing the currency back to appreciation, what they will do is to slow down the depreciation. And that's what's announced so far. Mm -hmm. And what we need to see is uh, the central banks outside the United States to put the acts together and begin raising interest rate aggressively. And more importantly, on, on the Bank of Japan in particular, um, the analysis we did is um, the fact is Japan will have to raise US dollar in order to buy the yen. And where they have the US dollar is in the foreign exchange reserve where they hold US treasuries. And so the problem is, if the, one of the largest US treasury holders begin to unwound its treasury holdings in order to protect the currency, that means bonds will be sold in the markets and yields could be higher at the same time. So that will bring up US yields and that will support the dollar. So it's a negative spiral right now until they find a credible solution. Right now, the yen is still under depreciation pressure. Mm. What, what do you make of the UK? That's really what sparked the latest uh, round of turbulence in the markets with that in incredible budget we saw last year with, um, well, in total, um, it's something like £400 billion worth of tax cuts, support measures for businesses and households with their energy uh, prices. The IMF has said it's closely monitoring economic developments in Britain and is engaged with UK authorities. I almost find that 
uh, an extraordinary statement because it's the sort of thing the IMF usually says about it. an emerging market, not a not a G7 country. What what do you make of what's going on in the UK? Well, my take is um, there is lack of coordination between the Treasury and the Bank of England, and the timing of the Bank in England, which have decided to raise rates only by fifty basis points, and that have really disappointed the market. And the budget came through with a substantial fiscal deficit of three point five percent GDP. Uh, And that left market speculators say, well, you have a deficit in the fiscal uh, account balance, and then you have a counter-account balance deficit, and then you're not giving me interest rates. Um, Mm. So market took that as a very negative signal and sell down the sterling. So going forward, we need to see Bank of England acting even before the November meeting in order to prevent the pound from falling further. And if they do, they do not add, um, the risk is this pound can still fall more. For now, uh, we do still have some hope they will. For those people who, uh, I guess, who need to buy the pound for, for an education of their kids, um, I guess these are very attractive levels. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I would warn against speculating about the sterling because right now uh, any announcement could take the currency either side um, right here right now. It's very volatile in the, in the near term. Barry and Mark, is this important for the rest of the world? Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen said she's watching this closely and is concerned. The IMF uh, is concerned. We had um, uh, the president of the Atlanta Fed, Raphael Bostic, uh, say this would have a big impact on the global economy. What's the impact going to be for everyone else of this? Well, quite frankly, I'm, I'm puzzled as to why uh, the Federal Reserve uh, president in Atlanta would make that comment. I'm not surprised that the IMF makes its statement complaining about uh, the British uh, fiscal stimulus that was announced last week. But, uh, you know, I can understand why a lot of people in Britain don't like the IMF. They wouldn't do that with the United States. I mean, I don't think they would do it with the United States. And it's quite extraordinary. It brings back all of the volatility memories that we have of 1992 when George Soros on Black Wednesday, that September of 16th of 1992 broke the pound that by the way the pound at that time was at one dollar 65 cents and you've got a pound now at one dollar seven now you know the pound is not particularly important in global trade so i'm not sure that it has global implications but obviously it's terrible for people living in britain because they're faced with higher interest rates that are coming and they have a very weak pound just a short word on the imf uh Peter, you know, the IMF has certain missions. I partly teach this, but furthering international monetary cooperation, encouraging the expansion of trade and economic growth, those two areas not doing so well, and then discouraging policies that would harm prosperity, which I guess this is when they, when they uh, criticize the, uh, criticize the uh, UK government. Well, the UK government says it's doing it because it wants to boost growth. It's uh, raised its growth targets uh, to two and a half percent. Um, but it's never had, UK's never had growth of two and a half percent going back to before the financial crisis. So um, is, is this going to work? Well, obviously, the IMF economists don't think so. They think mm-hmm. it, it might actually have the opposite effect. I don't know. It's it, it's obviously a gamble and it's clearly not popular among among a lot of people, in, even in the UK. Okay. Let's turn our uh, attention to Hong Kong. Hong Kong's trade performance worsened last month. The total value of exports slid 14.3% year on year. That's the most since the start of the pandemic. Uh, The fourth straight month of decline. Exports to major economies plunged down 54% to the UK, almost 25% lower to Japan and off 20% uh, to the mainland. 
Imports, meanwhile, fell by 16.3% from a year earlier. I guess, Mark, that, that your members are, are, are noticing this uh, markedly. Yeah, very much so. And, and, you know, there's just a there's a great nervousness still about about Hong Kong, both as a as a place to to be based, although they're still going to be based here, and also what the what's going to going going forward. I think the key is belief is that Hong Kong has has the possibility to recover, especially in areas like financial services and so on. But how are they going? How is Hong Kong going to do that? In what areas? And how that's going to affect uh, a business going forward, especially for companies that that at least base their business in Asia here. Mm. There, there was a, a couple of positive um, aspects because the Trade Development Council have come out yes. with their export index, which actually increased. This is a more forward-looking uh, index, and that's increased by 1.9 uh, points. It's increased now over both the last two uh, sort of quarters. And the TDC says many Hong Kong exporters are gradually becoming more optimistic with regards to their short-term prospects. Are you seeing that? Well, we're. I think. I think we're seeing some of it. You know, it's a mix. It's a mixed bag. We're we're about to have a a session tomorrow to talk about how everybody's doing. The focus is has moved towards Southeast Asia. It doesn't make up for China and for East Asia, but Southeast Asia seems to be running. Not everywhere, but generally speaking, seems to be running pretty well. And so this is where, where you know, sometimes the emphasis has been to a greater extent than maybe it was six months ago. Jack, what do you make of this? Because this is an important component, isn't it, of the local economy? Well, I think we are starting off from a low base uh, because when I look at the economy, we've been down for the last three years since 2019. We are this extended um, kind of recession or slowdown in the economy uh, is beginning to see some good signs. But then um, there's no certainty to the future yet. Um, there's no clarity to the future and how this recovery is going to unfold. So what we are looking for now is that clarity. But the good news is, just as an investor, um, compared to all the markets in the world right now, we're just suffering from this equity market downturn. If we do the right things and open up, uh, we have a lot of room for recovery. And that may leave the Hong Kong stock market uh, for some room to recover. I think that's important, that clarity, that outlook to come through. And that will boost the sentiment around the region. I'm in, going to ask city. you about that in a moment. Let me, let me ask you first, though, before, before then, do you think the, the reduction from this seven-day uh, quarantine now to a three-day home um, confinement, is that going to have a positive effect on business and trade? Well, immediate future, um, because we have a, such a strong currency, we are pegged to the dollar. People who are in Hong Kong are planning to travel out, but people, the Hong Kong people who live outside of Hong Kong are looking into Hong Kong and thinking, maybe I should come back for a visit, but okay, hold on. Uh, the currency is very expensive uh, if I live in the UK. <laughs> so um, they are not, they're holding back uh, the traveling plan to come back yet. But what we need to see is the zero plus zero, right? Uh, and until we see zero plus zero, there will not be any foreign tourists coming to Hong Kong because there are many other attractive, cheap destinations out there. So that come through, then I think we will have a brighter outlook. But Barry, this data, it does seem to be further evidence, doesn't it, that global demand is slowing, which uh, a lot of people are warning about. We've had the World Bank this week uh, revising down its forecasts uh, once again. Absolutely. And, and you've got central banks, particularly the Fed, raising interest rates into a recession. You know, there was a data come point today, 
$13 trillion have been wiped out of United States equities since the peak. That's a two-year low. It's extraordinary. I mean, you've got, you've got certain equity prices down 40 50%. So this is a serious matter in terms of the amount of money that has been lost by investors just in this bear market here in the States. Jack, well, let's get on to this market here. We've, we've lost 1.3 trillion U.S. dollars uh, in market value so far this year. The Hang Seng is down uh, 24%. Uh, the tech index, its losses for the year, down over 35% now. We're at an 11-year uh, low. So people, in effect, have seen the last 11 years of gains uh, are wiped out. Where do we go from here? In the near term, market sentiment will remain negative. Um, and the reason is, in a simple concept of asset allocation, is you've got to compare different asset classes. Now, money markets or cash deposits is giving you for five percent return for mm. almost zero risk whereas the equity market is giving you less earnings earnings are falling they are giving you a uh, volatility they are giving you you know a lot of people have a lot of stocks and the positioning unwind is still have to take place so in the near term i feel there's more volatility to come with a negative downside bias but the hope is um we get some stabilization in the next couple of months because a lot of the rate hikes are beginning to be priced in now into the market. So uh, we have to see, but it's too early to jump the guns and try to uh, bottom fish the market. Do you think um, investors have priced in fully yet declining earnings? Because obviously uh, the US dollar does have a big impact on, uh, on earnings, doesn't it? No, the earnings downgrade cycle in the United, United States in particular have only started at the end of June. And the earnings upgrade have been going on for two, three years. So we, we see more room of earnings downgrade. So the market have not priced in the additional earnings downgrade that's coming. So I feel the market have more to digest. And what about on the mainland? The Shanghai Composite is getting close again uh, to, to 3,000. It did rebound yesterday, uh, but it got very close to 3,000 the day before. Um, the, the market there, it first crossed went above the 3,000 level back in February 2007. So there, 15 years of, uh, of gains almost gone. Um, unfortunately, um, if we look at the fundamentals of the economy, um, there's still lack of momentum that could support earnings growth in, in China. And then we look at the valuation of the stock market. Okay, it's not dirt cheap, but it's slightly cheap. And then we look at technical analysis, it's still negative. The market is still trending lower. What's the only thing holding market up is the hope of a policy support in the future. But unfortunately, the hope being placed on the party congress, which is taking place next month, is a congress where pe uh, politics and, and new people are decided. It's not a meeting where people decide on economic policies. So um, I don't think there will be much announced on the economy uh, in the near term. So unfortunately, market is still under pressure. Okay, well, thank you very much for your thoughts there. You heard Jack Su, Chief Investment Officer for Greater China at Credit Suisse. Mark Michelson, Chairman of the Asia CEO Forum at IMA Asia. And our international economics correspondent, Barry Woods. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Let's take a final look around the uh, Asia-Pacific stock markets. Right now, the ASX 200 in Australia uh, is up about a quarter of a percent. 
Uh, the Nikkei 225 in Japan is down half a percent. The Cosby in South Korea off about a third of a percent. Uh, and it looks like the Hang Seng is going to open about 230 points lower in just under an hour's time. The weather... Th- oh, thank you very much for joining me this morning. Do stay tuned for Back Chats for Janice Wong and Danny Gittings coming up in a moment. The weather forecast, mainly cloudy with a few showers. Sunny intervals during the day, maximum temperature of around 31 degrees. Sunny intervals and a few showers in the next few days. A strong monsoon signal is in force right now. Temperature is 28 degrees, 73% relative humidity. Times 8.31, here's Andrew Shrosky with the Half Hour News. Thank you, Peter. The U.S. ambassador to the U.N., Linda Thomas-Greenfield, has told the Security Council that Washington will be tabling a resolution condemning what she termed a sham referendums by Russia in four regions it partly occupies in Ukraine. But China's U.N. ambassador told the council that U.S. talk of further sanctions against Russia would only lead to a dead end. Moscow has claimed almost total support in the votes on joining Russia. Its UN ambassador is Vasily Nemenzia. The authorities said e-health records show that the certificates issued by the seven private doctors account for more than half of all... The referendum was conducted exclusively, transparently, upholding all electoral norms. This is an undisputed fact. However, the Kiev regime and its partners want to say anything to the contrary. More than 100 independent international observers monitored it from 40 countries and were particularly surprised by how enthusiastic people were about the referendum. Unfortunately, you won't hear this. The government says that from October the 12th, it'll stop recognizing more than 20,000 vaccine pass exemption certificates issued by seven private doctors. The doctors are accused of issuing the documents without holding medical consultations. Mike Weeks reports. The authorities said e-health records show that the certificates issued by the seven private doctors account for more than half of all the vaccine pass exemptions currently in circulation. Patients who hold them are urged to consult other medical practitioners. Six of the doctors have been arrested, while a seventh is wanted by the police. One who works at a clinic on Lychicock Road was detained yesterday. The 65-year-old is alleged to have issued 3,196 exemption certificates from February to May. A pedestrian has died and five other people have been injured after a truck hit a number of vehicles before running onto a pavement in Kuntong last night. The truck rammed into the front of a Bank of China branch before finally coming to a halt. Todd Harding reports. Police said they received a call about the fatal accident near the intersection of Fu Yan Street and Shui Wall Street at about 9pm. They said the crash involved a 5.5-tonne truck, a light goods vehicle, a coach, two taxis and a minibus. Officers said a 65-year-old man who was hit during the multiple collisions was rushed unconscious to hospital where he was declared dead. Three passengers in the truck and the drivers of the light goods vehicle and the minibus were also hurt. The 65-year-old truck driver was arrested for dangerous driving causing death and is being detained for inquiries. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Back Chat. I'm Janice Wong and our guest presenter is Danny Gittings. 
Today we're talking about how to stem child abuse amid a series of high-profile abuse cases involving both domestic incidents and at child care facilities. Speaking about the latest case of alleged abuse at a care centre run by the Poland Cook, Chief Executive John Lee said authorities are working to strengthen laws against abuse, while it may enlist the help of trustworthy independent bodies to step up inspections at child care institutions. Could more inspections help to ensure childcare staff don't go over the line? Are, are care centres adequately staffed and are they given enough training? After 9.15, we will look at why NASA has purposely crashed a spacecraft into an asteroid. Let us know what